2019, it was about testing. In 2020, uh, it's about gaining some of that traction. So, all right, the idea works. Now, can you grow it? And that's exactly uh, what we'll do in 2020. So in the first six months, the goal is to really start to pour some gasoline on what we think is already working to see accelerate that key metrics. I can then, we can then turn around and then go out to investors to say, hey, look, here's the, the type of company that interests you, the type of company that you guys invest in. Here are some of the milestones that we've checked off in 2020. Let's have a, a discussion about uh, you guys getting involved. Welcome to the Uncensored Show with your host, George Paul, where we share the mindset, tips, tools, strategies, and stories on how to use your money to do more of what you love and what you were called to do. Money is like gas on a road trip. Sure, you need it to get where you're going, but you're not going on a tour of gas stations. Money fuels your journey. The question is, what's yours? Live life uncensored. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Uncensored Podcast. Today, we got a really special guest. We have Mr. Donald T. Boone. He's the founder and CEO of Boxed Up, an on-demand rental marketplace he launched in February of 2019. In addition to running his startup, Donald leads a solution architect team for Amazon Business in Seattle, Washington. A native of Seat Pleasant, MD, Donald graduated from North Carolina A&T with a BS in mechanical engineering. While at A&T, he served as president of the National Society of Black Engineers, as well as the president of Beta Epsilon Chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha, shout out to the bros, Fraternity Incorporated. A serial entrepreneur, Donald previously managed real estate investments, clothing, and mobile application companies. When he's not hard at work, Donald spends his time with his wife, AJ, and his two children, Noel and DJ, so, ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, let's welcome Donald to the show. How you doing, man? George, what's going on, man? Long time, long time. I'm happy uh, to finally have an opportunity to sit down and, uh, and talk business with you. Absolutely, man. I've been uh, checking out your journey, um, you know, I guess I could say from afar, from a while, a while from now. So, it's, it's been cool to see your evolution um, and all the things that you've had your hands in over the years. So I know I just read that, that, that bio, but if you want to just share in your own words a little bit, just, you know, who you are and what you're all about. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah. I, I'd say for me, it's always difficult to sum up sort of who I am and, and get the full gravity, but I'd say in short came from extremely humble beginnings, grew up right outside of Washington, DC and see Pleasant, uh, went to school in North Carolina A&T. And for the most part, was sort of grew up and was sort of trained to be uh, a really, you know, stand up corporate guy. I think every step that I took in my younger years leading up to college was really all on a path to go to work, work hard, retire, save up uh, and live off of my, you know, 401k and pension. But I think over you know, the course of the last five years or so, I've sort of had a renaissance and awakening within myself. Uh, that have sort of that sort of led me to sort of the path that I'm on today. So um, I'd say sort of after coming from humble beginnings, you know, given an opportunity uh, to to start making money pretty early in my career, 
uh, has sort of led me to, I think, sort of uh, an awakening and a, and a freedom that's been been really cool to kind of live in and, and try to take advantage in uh, in my life so far. Dope, dope. Um, you know, ever since I've known you, at least, and I know, you know, you went to A&T, which is right across the street. We obviously pledged the same fraternity. From what I could tell, it's always seemed like you've you've had your hand in, in some type of entrepreneurial endeavor. And so my question for you is, what has your entrepreneurial journey kind of been like up until this point? You know, in the early days, I, I, I honestly, I never thought I would even want to be a full-time entrepreneur, right? I, I thought the the way to make it was, and sort of, I, I think we inherited this, at least I did, from uh, my my mom's generation and the generations that came before her, was work hard um, and, and kind of dabble in entrepreneurship on the side. So I came out of school, I graduated in February 2009. Uh, and I worked for super large company, ExxonMobil, oil and gas. I didn't love it per se, but for me, it gave me the money to do what I wanted to do on the side. And that was invest in stocks. That was invest in real estate. Uh, so th- that was sort of the first official uh, time that I started to do entrepreneurship. But as I started to uh, dive into some other endeavors, I started a clothing company later on in 2009. I started to think about sort of where this whole drive came from. And then I started thinking back. I said, you know what? Now that I think about it, I was doing this stuff in back at high school. So, you know, I still remember times when I'd ask my mom to go to Sam's Club you know, bag up some gummy worms on like the big, massive Costco Sam's Club bags. And then I bag it up in these little small baggies. And then I take it to to school and I'd sell it to other students in high school because we didn't have those options within our vending machine. So I said, all right, well, perfect. That's another come up. Well, let me start, you know, bagging up some candy on the side and selling that. And then I was one of the first ones to get a, a CD burner back in the day. So um, unfortunately, you know, I was powered in music uh, back then. I'm sure we all were. Um, so I did, you know, a little bit of a CD selling on the side. And then I, I just started to pick up, you know, just little things on the side to, to try to make money. So it's kind of always been in the back of my head. I think just lately I've sort of started to to really find the structure that is entrepreneurship. Dope. And, you know, it, you're right. It's like when you go back and look, you probably for a lot of us can find traces of you know what was I guess we're now calling an entrepreneurship, but back then it just made sense, right? It was like, hey, you know, we could solve a problem, right, on a, on a small scale, and so that that, that resonates with me a lot. And I think about some exactly, um, in my exactly. Um, so as someone who has started or been involved in you know several different business ventures of different types, what what do you use to decide when's the right time to pivot or let something go or transition to the next thing, right? Because I feel like um, with a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, pivoting or moving on, you know, feels like failure, right? And sometimes maybe, you know, maybe that's what it is, but like right. what, what I can, at least I feel like I can ascertain from, from your journey is that, and, I, and I'm going to talk about a blog that you wrote too, but like what I can somewhat glean is that it seems like, you know, you'll do something and then, when it runs its course, you have no problem moving on. That could be a, a misconception, but I'm curious on like, what are your thoughts on knowing when's the right time to pivot or did, was, were those things just kind of 
natural evolutions that it was time for you to move on to something different? Man, that's a really good question. I, I, it's never easy is the first thing that I'll say. I, I think is sort of externally facing. I try to present myself as a, a really outgoing person. But to be honest, I probably spend a lot of time in my own head and, and thinking with my own thoughts and sort of wrestling with those things. So it's honestly never really easy uh, to put something to bed or to, to sort of kill something. But the way I like to look at it is you, 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 have, you have different types of businesses, different types of entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, and, and things like real estate stocks, uh, forex, etc. Those types of investments and endeavors, you can really, you can really, you know, dip your toe in those really at any point in time. Um, you know, if the stock market is crashing, you know, there are people that were that will go out and short the market um, or buy options to short the market. There are mechanisms to find ways to make money when the economy is in a, in a recession or when the market isn't going away. Uh, when the, the stock market starts rising, there are ways to make money off of that as well. The same thing goes for, for real estate. When the economy uh, was still sort of at the lows, that's when I bought one of my first real estate properties. But what I started to find is as the economy started to grow, the margins in flipping houses were starting to shrink. So for me, I took a step back and said, what do I want to be a part of? Because I can certainly try to swim against the tide. And that, that's definitely one way of, of doing it. But I'll have all of those other outside external forces against me. What wave can I hop on right now? Not to say that, you know, I'm hopping from wave to wave. But I think as an entrepreneur, you definitely want to take part in ecosystems that are already thriving with or without you. And if you can carve out a space within that uh, and take advantage of a trend that you see happening on a broader scale, then it makes it easier. So another startup that I had that you mentioned, uh, I launched the mobile, um, an app company. And at the time, it was a great time to start. But in the course of trying to launch it and trying to sell it to businesses, boom, Uber Eats pops up. And I saw it in the early days. And I said, you know what? I I think I've got a good enough niche that's carved out that I don't think that they'll impede on any of my progress. Man, six months into it, um, I was selling something completely different to restaurants, but all they wanted to to know is how I could uh, grow their their business or whether or not I deliver food uh, via my app. And it's just something that I didn't offer at the time. So I said, all right, th- this is a moment where as hard as it may be, I've invested all of this money. I think I might need to pivot into something else um, because I-, I think the timing is working against me. It could work, but I, I think I've got to be smart and take a step back and say, I think I need to go another direction. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, I think that's an underrated skill, right? Because entrepreneurship and speaking, I don't have children yet. We're actually working on that now. Um, but you have children, right? So I think you could agree that, you know, creating a business, I mean, well, while it's wildly different than having an actual child, you know, it's, it feels, so it has some of the similarities, like you're growing, you know, you, you're bringing something from, you know, nothing into existence, right? And it's like, it can be very hard to, probably let that go, right? And also it could be oh, yeah. the ego involved, right? It's like, man, well, what, it, what are other people going to think? Man, I started this thing and from the outside looking in, everybody thought it was quote unquote successful and now how, what does it look like when I pivot? So I think it's an underrated skill, you know, to your point, you said you at times 
were in your head more often than not. But the fact that you were ultimately able to arrive at that decision and, and make the pivot, I think, is is a value skill set that a lot of entrepreneurs uh, can can definitely learn. Which really yeah. And that, I mean, that, that makes it hard. I mean, that really important is something that I wrestle with is what will other people think? And it's a knee jerk reaction. That's the society that we live in today. And I almost always think about that first. And it's been like a training for me to be like, you know what? Um, to hell with who cares what other people think? Like this, this life isn't a dress rehearsal, right? So I don't want to spend another extra second doing something that I don't think is going to work. So the moment I start getting that feeling internally that this isn't going to work, I have to be extremely honest with myself and say, people are probably going to be like, damn, there go Boone again, starting another business. He killed another one. And I just, I (laughs) got to keep reminding myself, like, you know what, who cares? Because if the next one works, then they'll all, they'll all be like, oh, it worked. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. uh, it's something that, that's really hard, but I think the social media generation definitely makes it a little more difficult to do, especially when you talk outwardly about what you're working on. Absolutely. It's, you know, one of my favorite quotes is this very simple quote, but I live by it is when the facts change, so do I. What do mm. you, right? And so at, at certain points in time, certain things make sense, right? That really, you know, certain things made sense at that time. But when that reality changes, whether it's the, the way the world is going or the way the economy is going or a certain industry, a certain sector, um, what do I do? Do I just stay where, stay where I'm at or stay stuck because I don't want somebody to screenshot my tweet from a year ago right. uh, where I said how successful my this business is going to be? Or do I pivot accordingly? And to your point, life's not a dress rehearsal. Like, at the end of the day, we all go home. Like we have to live with that life. So, would I rather prop something up that I don't enjoy because of public perception, or do I want to move on as quickly as possible um, to the next thing that I feel either one is going to fulfill me more, or two going to be more successful? So, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Darwin has this quote: uh, "It's not the strongest or the most intelligent that survive; it's the most adaptable to change." So, to that point, exactly. Just being adaptive and being willing. Uh, to be to humble yourself to adapt to the changing ties is important. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, perfect segue to the blog that you wrote. Um, was it, I think it was earlier this year, right? Um, why my, you know, my why my startup failed? Yeah. So, yep, yep. I guess without going into to too much detail there, because I'm gonna I'm gonna link it in the show notes. I think everybody should read it. It's a really good article. Um, but at, at a high level, what is one of the major takeaways that you got from your first startup and like for someone who's listening to this who's just getting into the ecosystem of you know trying to build a startup like what are what are maybe one or two takeaways that you can pull from that article or just your experience in general that would be valuable to somebody who is venturing into the the world of uh, entrepreneurship yeah, I think particularly in the technology space, innovating is extremely important and it's key. And, and the way I looked at it, uh, I heard Steve Jobs uh, describe when describe his thought process when building the iPod. And Steve Jobs was like, listen, um, people didn't ask for the iPod. Like people don't know what they want. You have to tell them what they want. And that's a part of innovating. So I said, all right, all right I hear you, Steve. So, you know, I'm going to try to do the same thing. And uh, that was what I thought I would be doing with my with my startup. And um, long story short, the, the startup was today we have Instagram. You know, if you go and sit down at a restaurant, 
um, you might look at the Instagram pictures or the pictures in Google Google Maps or OpenTable to figure out what you want to eat. Well, that wasn't as prevalent five years ago. So what I wanted to do was to have one ecosystem, let's call it the Instagram for restaurants to allow people to not just read what they wanted to eat, but actually have a visual representation. So you didn't get that feeling like when the food came to the table, like, damn, I should I knew I should have ordered what that other person ordered um, and have regret over that. And that's what I wanted to push. Um, but, but my problem was, and this is what I know now is that I didn't talk to enough customers and I didn't talk to uh, at that time, that would that would have been the restaurants. So the restaurants didn't necessarily see that as a problem that they needed to solve. So instead of starting with the customer and working backward, I started with this idea about an innovation and a change that I thought would happen and, and that I thought I wanted to see and to drive. And I tried to push that onto the customer. Well, that's just not the way that it works. People will will move um, and spend money on with on what they value. So while I created what I thought was something groundbreaking, um, the restaurants didn't feel that way. And I needed them to reach the customers because ultimately I partnered with them to to surface these uh, these visual based menus to their customers. Well, if they didn't care about it, then they weren't going to invest in it, and that's kind of how it stopped. But you know, it took me investing a hundred thousand dollars to figure out that hard lesson, and it's sort of one of those things. And I definitely encourage people uh, to write because that's one of those things that took me a long time and really, really uh, months and months of like thinking to figure out exactly what went wrong and to sort of take ownership of it. And I, I think spending that, I, I learned so many valuable lessons, man. I think you learn so much more by doing than you do uh, by reading. And, and I sort of saw that as like my college education into technology uh, and to startups into the tech industry. So I'm thankful that it that it happened. Uh, but please, man, um, like Hove said, um, like I told you to sell drugs. No, like Hove did that. So hopefully you don't have to go through that. Please don't do what I did. Uh, take a couple minutes. It's a six-minute read and, and read it. I, I think uh, somebody, even if it's not tech-specific, can can take something away from it. Absolutely, I know I took something away from it. I thought it was a great article. Um, so yeah, definitely, guys, check that out. I'm gonna link it in the show notes uh, so you guys can do that. So I want to take a quick, I guess I would say, tangent from what we were talking about, but something I feel like is relevant um, that most entrepreneurs probably experience because if you're an entrepreneur, more than likely you're a leader, right? More than likely you're um, someone amongst your peers who is quote unquote, the strong friend, the one who's mm. willing to venture out, right. And try new things. And so, you know, I would, I would argue that you're that guy amongst your crew, right? Obviously we have, you know, similar circles on some of our friends and brothers you know, overlap, but I, I can, I can guess that you're a leader amongst leaders. And so, you know, my, my question to you in that regard is, you know, being that person that everybody looks to, to have it figured out, have it together, always being kind of the, the, the role model or the example from a, an early standpoint, how do you, how do you kind of get out of your own head at times when it's like, man, you know, I don't feel like I have it all together right now. I feel like I'm missing the mark. I feel like, you know, there's things that I need help with. How do you, like, how do you trudge forward in those times when you feel like, you're the one that everybody leans on and you don't have anyone to lean on. 
Man, I'll be honest. That's something that uh, I think I still struggle with is who do I turn to, right? And um, I've got a, a real good group. We, we call ourselves the Rat Pack. It's just a circle of about 16. It originally started with about 18 of us that are really tight. And what, I, I, what I've charged them to do is, you know, my peers to say, listen, man, I, I know y'all look up to me, but if I'm being vulnerable, I really need you all to put uh, to uh, apply more pressure on me to make sure that I'm being as transparent as possible, uh, so that, uh, so that I can lean on you guys when I also need to. So I think at at most, the most important takeaway is, is to find, um, spaces that you can be vulnerable in. I think that's sort of one of those spaces. We have a, an annual retreat. We come together, we have an agenda. Uh, last year we rented out an Airbnb and we just lock ourselves in a conference room for like two days and talk about everything. It could be investing, it could be in relationships. Um, but you know, dudes will break down and cry. I think I have not, there hasn't been a year that I haven't cried. Uh, so that's sort of one, one case. Another case is, uh, you know, finding a partner for me, that's my wife. And I think she's seen everything that I've gone through ups, downs, highs and lows, and just having that space to be come home and be vulnerable to her. Just like, listen, this is something that's on my chest. Like I got to talk about it. Like this is absolutely eating me alive. Uh, so that's, that's the sort of the second way that I deal with it. I think the other way is, uh, that I'm still trying to work on is I think it's important to have mentors and people that you look up to in multiple levels. And I think what, what's difficult in the tech space is finding black people, man, that like, you can say like, you've done it. Oh, you're a CEO of a startup. How is it? Like, how is it going? What have you done? How did you do it? There just aren't a lot of people. And that is, that has to be by far the hardest part about, especially the startup world is like, if it's real estate, if it's stocks, you know, there's hundreds of people that you can reach out to. There just aren't a lot of people that have uh, started, launched, scaled, um, and exited a startup that is, that look like us. So that's definitely the hardest part about this space. Yeah. Yeah. I I see that um, a lot. And also I know some other uh, people that are in the tech space and they, they have the same challenges. So I also mm-hmm. gather that you're uh, a multi-passionate person. I wouldn't say multi-passionate entrepreneur, but just, you know, people in general, like we have multiple interests, right? So we're not just rigid to the things that we build um, from a business standpoint. So my question is being that you have different passions in life and different things that interest you, how do you balance being focused on the main thing, which is your current startup, while still feeding into your, I guess, other creative or entrepreneurial desires? George, I feel like you're speaking to my soul right now with some of these questions, man. Um, <laughs> it's, um, and I think we think, we think a lot of like in that sense, that's, that's a tough one. And I know I keep, it sounds like I keep saying that I struggle with this too, but I do. I think the hardest part I think about having multiple passions and interests is being disciplined enough to say no. I'm just, I simply do not have any additional bandwidth to invest in anything else or invest my time or my energy in anything else. But what happens is um, I'll start or I'll think that I can and I'll start losing money. So I'll, I'll be honest, like cryptocurrency is an, is an area that's like that for me is I was 
headfirst into tech, pretty much all things uh, tech space related. And then I'll just like fill a nudge or like somebody will shoot me a text message because they know that I'm, I'm into all of this stuff. They're like, oh, I know Boone will love this. Like, <laughs> have, you, have you seen what, what's, what's going on with Bitcoin? So then I'll, I'll drop in and like I'll literally dive in headfirst. I'll do podcasts, YouTube videos, books, you name it. And then I'll just like uh, do a data dump of all of this stuff and be sort of like a, a semi SME in a, a couple of weeks. But there's danger uh, in that because there are people that spend their lives doing that stuff. So to think that you can kind of drop in and, and be a specialist uh, is kind of tough. So what, what I try to do now is recognize, hey, uh, you can't be a specialist at everything. Um, but you, you, you'll be more effective if you can master something. So instead of being the master of none, which is really what I've kind of spent my entire life doing, I think for me, uh, as we approach the end of the decade, like this next decade is like, boom, like really like just, just master one thing. I feel like I've been on or I've chipped at the surface at multiple things, but I always look back and say, man, just imagine had, had you spent five years doing that one thing, how big it would be today and, and how much better than everyone else uh, or, or how much you would be able to contribute into a space. So I, I think for me, um, it, it's more, it's, it takes more discipline to do that. I think it's easier to, to spread yourself thin. And then I think once I conquer one mountain, I'll definitely like that. Those fires are still burning for sure. But I think I just want to find the, the right opportunity to sort of revisit those on the back end once I've at least conquered something and I can say, hey, I'm a, I'm a master at that. I've done this one thing. Now let me go and dive back into real estate as an example. Yeah, yeah. And that was a selfish question. Like you said, um, like we think a lot of like, you know, I was like, man, I, I wonder how Boone deals with this, right? Because I, <laughs> I, 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 I deal with the same issue. I'm the same at this point, like as we're closing out the decade, yes, I've been you know, known for several years at this point as a quote unquote thought leader in the state area of finance. But I was like, in order for me to be the guy, I have to be known for something very uniquely specific in the space. And so I finally feel like I know what that is. Um, and I'm, I've kind of started to starting to crack that, um, that message for that, because to your point, like if we use the example that anybody can relate to like hip hop, right? Like mm -hmm. look at Jay-Z, the billionaire today. But what, what, what got him there? Being an incredibly great rapper, right? Yep. And then from there, after mastering that, okay, I really got this down. Um, I call it the wealth triangle, right? It's like the mm -hmm. first tier of it is, you know, you making you money. What is that skill that you're going to be known for that no matter what happens, you can make money doing that skill, right? And then you can continue to get paid more and more for that skill. And then you can reinvest the money from that after leveling off your lifestyle into, uh, you know, your people or systems making you money, right? And that's when you can exactly a scalable business, right? And then from there, you know, money can make you money. So I think it's, for me, it's about just doubling down on that core skill, that core thing that you'll be known for. And then from there, doing it so well that it gives you the resources to duplicate yourself. So where I can't necessarily expand myself because of bandwidth, now I have the money from my skill to be able to spread that out while I'm still refining what I do best and then allowing that to fuel 
other assets as well. So, you know, exactly, I, exactly. Yeah, I share the exact same mindset. And, and Jay's the perfect metaphor. I think right now is is a super small fraction. He's got Duce, he's got title, he had the portion of the Nets that he's now sold. But now he's got all of these things. But it, to your point, it all started. I mean, what he was a rapper for, you know, greater than 10 years alone, mastered that. And then now his money is making money for him. Yep. And so success leaves clues. It's like we try to circumvent the process or think that we're, we're different. And then it's like, let me just do what works. Like the proof, like the proof's in the pudding, right? Right, right. And I, but I think, you know, it's, it's probably more rep- representative of like we look at like Diddy and Jay and Elon and, and Elon Musk and these dudes do 10 different things great. And we're like, oh, well, then I got to do 10 different things great. It's like, no, 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 you can't, you can't skip the ingredients to get a cake. Like you got to bake it fully. You got to master that one thing before you start to spread your wings a little bit more. 110%. We can't, we can't look at the result. We have to look at the process. Exactly. Right. How do they get there? This podcast episode is sponsored by CapitalWise. CapitalWise is a boutique financial planning firm serving entrepreneurs of high-growth companies. We also have investment management services for all. Plan precisely, invest intelligently. CapitalWise. Uh, so now let's talk a little bit about uh, your, your current startup, Boxed Up. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about what it is and how how'd you come up with the idea. I think it's a genius idea. How would you come up with it? Yeah. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. So, um, like just as you mentioned in, in the intro boxed up is effectively an online rental equipment company. And I think sort of the benefit of going from one thought to another thought to another thought is after a while, you're like, man, this is starting to get expensive to start all of these hobbies and businesses. And, uh, it's a, a, a short, but funny story. Um, before Boxed Up, I launched a, you talk about uh, being a man that just has many interests. I was heavy in the 3D printing, right? I'm like, you know what? I'll just build the next 3D, uh, 3D printed manufacturing uh, system. I think this is a, a great way to scale. And I bought a, um, a home 3D printer. And I'm like, man, a couple months in, I started making stuff, but it, it what I found that it just wasn't going to be uh, enough. The technology still has a bit of ways before we get to a point where, you know, you've got 3D printed remotes and trinkets in your house and stuff like that. Uh, but I had this expensive piece of equipment that I had absolutely no use for. And I thought, like, I'm sure there are other people who don't have, and we'll put real numbers behind it, $2,500 to spend on the 3D printer but they have some use for it. And lo and behold, someone reached out. I was like, hey, I need to make this part for uh, that. I'm trying to mock up something. I'm starting a jewelry line. Like, can you help me? I know you have a 3D printer. I'm like, you know what? I do, but I'm sure this can't be the only issue like this. So that was sort of one example. And then I started to think back. I'm like, man, you know, I rehabbed my mom's basement at one point in time. It's about eight years ago now. And during that time, I spent all of this money on all of these tools and equipment that I ultimately don't use anymore. It's just sitting in my the basement of my mom's house collecting dust. But I probably got, you know, another $2,000 worth of stuff that's just sitting there not doing anything. And I started asking around, and, and this is sort of what I learned from the previous startup, like not just sprinting into action. I, I, I instead started asking people like, yo, like, you know, I know you do X, Y, and Z. 
like how, how do you use that stuff so you know talking to my one boy in uh in la he's like yeah in, in hollywood a lot of people uh for these commercials and video shoots that you see we rent a lot of that equipment so then i started spending time with people who would actually one day be my consumers and what i've start what i've carved out over the course of 2019 are pretty core central areas that people have needs for things either because the price is too high or because you don't need it long term um, if you look at the way the industry or society is moving and consumer spending habits, you look at Airbnb, you look at Uber, you look at rental cars. There's a company called Turo that will rent you a rental car. So you don't have to go to National, Alamo, et cetera. People are renting cars out of their driveway and delivering it to you at the airport. Consumers are starting to change the way that they're spending it and people are starting to get smarter and savvier to say, and hey, instead of spending a G on it, how about I just rent it for the weekend for $20? We do it in everything else. But now what I want to do with boxed up is accelerated in those air in those other areas of life that we don't necessarily think about. So today, uh, what I focus on or what we focus on is renting out podcast equipment. So for example, uh, the, the mic that I'm talking on right now is something that we run out through boxed up drones, jewelry maker, or a, a potential podcaster, but you don't know if you're going to want to do it long term, you can sample it from boxed up for a short amount of time, uh, go online, select your rental dates, use it and just send it back when you're done. And if it's something that you think you're going to do long term, we encourage you to go out uh, either and buy your own or just continue to rent from boxed up. Yeah, I mean, I think you, a couple of boxes that this checks is just understanding the trend of like this, you know, shared economy and how that's a, a big thing now. To your point, Turo, I actually uh, used Turo for a number of months. Um, we were living in my uptown condo because my office was walking distance. I was like, man, I got this four series just collected dust down here in the garage. I was like, let me put this nice. thing in Turo, and it worked. It worked well. So I think. You know, I really like how you're paying attention to the trends and how people, um, how I guess the economy is shifting. Uh, so one question that literally just came up as we started talking, do you see the platform evolving to a point where other people who have things that they want to rent out can basically have a profile on the boxed up website, right? Where I, I want to rent out my camera or I want to rent out my podcast equipment. Or do you feel like that's not, a direction you guys see yourself going. I just literally just randomly had that thought. <laughs> you, 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 you read our mind for 2020. That, that, that is the goal for 2020 is to allow other people to rent their stuff out. So in, in 2019, a lot of what we did was to validate the idea, validate the concept. We have an hypothesis. We think people might want to rent things, but we don't know for sure. So let's test it out. And once we started to get some of those uh, identifiers, people uh, will vote with their money. People started spending money and running stuff. I'm like, okay, th this is a thing. And then people quickly started asking like, by the way, I've got like this, this drill in my garage that I don't use. Like, can I rent that on boxed up? And I didn't originally, um, I always had that thought in mind. I just didn't think it would come this soon. Um, but now we've started to talk to some investors and start to uh, field a, a couple of inquiries from a couple of people. And that's the first thing that comes up is how quickly can you get to the point where you're allowing other people to rent their things? And from my perspective, I, I think that that 
that's when you start to get into really startup mode, explosive growth is enabling other people. Because then, uh, just like you talked about Toro on this podcast, there's another podcast, I'm sure at some point someone will say, yeah, I rented out my microphone on this on this service called Boxed Up. You should check it out. And, thing, and then the word just starts to travel that way. So, so definitely in 2020, the core goal is to uh, make more money um, or rent have more rentals that other people benefit from versus what we rent out from from our home office uh, out in Seattle. So that's definitely goal for 2020. Awesome. That's yeah. I, I can see it, man. I, I feel like this is this is going to be huge for you. Um, and it, it was a perfect segue to my next question because you said you talked to some investors. So. Um, you guys are, are you guys currently seeking investors and kind of what is your plan to go about fundraising? I always like asking that question for the folks who I have on who are in that space because it's, it's seemingly so few in ter- at least in terms of my network of people who are actually yeah. in that process. So curious if you can shed any light on that. Happy to. It's, it's the same for me. It's a pretty, uh, it's a definitely a black box. You have this, you have TV shows like Silicon Valley and stuff that you think the way it works, but like how it actually works is a little different. So, so, so definitely, I, I think one of the common misconceptions about the startup space is that, uh, people, if you have an idea, people will give you money for it. The answer is sort of a bit more difficult than that. It's like, yes and no. People will give you money for it, um, but savvy investors want to see what they call traction. They want to see growth, um, and and that can be a number of ways. Traction can mean repeat customers. Traction can mean revenue for a platform like Instagram, Facebook, social media companies. Those are users. So whatever metric is used to measure how successful your startup is, uh, that's what they would define as traction. So. In 2019, it was about testing. In 2020, uh, it's about gaining some of that traction. So, all right, the idea works. Now, can you grow it? And that's exactly uh, what we'll do in 2020. So in the first six months, the goal is to really start to pour some gasoline on what we think is already working to celebrate that key metrics. I can then, we can then turn around and then go out to investors to say, hey, look, Here's the, the type of company that interests you, the type of company that you guys invest in. Here are some of the milestones that we've checked off in 2020. Let's have a, a discussion about uh, you guys getting involved. So the way that I, I want to do it in 2020 is um, I, I just firmed up things with a co-founder at the end of 2019, which is a really big thing. So I don't have to build this on my own anymore. And then in the first uh, quarter of 2020, I want to do a crowd raise. So I know you had uh, Don Dixon on uh, a few months ago, sort of exactly what she did with Popcom is go out to the people and say, I want to give everybody the opportunity to invest in this company. So that's what we want to do in the first half of 2020. And once we get some investment from what they call friends and family or other angel investors, people that invest with their own pockets, we'll grow the company, uh, start to accelerate those things that are that are already working. And then once we get to a really good, comfortable point, that might be late 2020 or 2021, we'll be able to go to some VCs or venture capitalists. These are people that manage funds on behalf of uh, other people and invest their dollars, then go to them and say, all right, we know you write professional checks. Here's what we've done. Is this something that you'd like to invest in? Got it. Got it. That's 
that's been one of the better um, and, and easily, easy to digest breakdowns that I've heard uh, as it relates to fundraising. So thank you for uh, breaking that down because I, I know the listeners can never get enough of that because it's just not a lot of people in, you know, in our space um, and people of color doing it. So thank you for uh, breaking that down. Very excited about Definitely. the fundraise. That's going to give um, people a chance to invest in that. So I'll be on the look out for that as well and personally hopefully maybe even the friends and family around also so uh we'll just keep us that'd be awesome in um on that because i get i believe i get a lot of stuff that gets naturally with me being in the financial advisory space i get a lot of stuff that gets pushed across uh my desk in terms of hey like you want to invest in this but i can only imagine you know i just when when i feel it and when i see it it's not it's not a i think boone is cool we went to you know we have similar networks and we were fraternity brothers. I really believe that this is a phenomenal idea and business model that I can see scaling to infinite levels. So excited. I appreciate it. Um, so another question I have for you is, you know, you, you still have, even though you just broke down and talked about all the wonderful things that you're doing, the crazy thing is you still have a full-time job in Amazon, uh, you know, you, which is also interesting. It seems like they're supportive of your startup. Um, so my question is, well, number one, am I, am I accurate about that? But number two, is that just more so based upon the culture of Amazon? Or do you feel like there's just a shift in corporate America where, you know, they understand that people have, you know, other passions outside of work and ra- rather than working against that, if I can support them, um, it might make them even more uh, excited to work here, you know, at least while they're here. Yeah, it's a really astute, observation both the the answer is definitely both i think amazon's one of core uh, amazon's core tenets they call them leadership principles but one of those leadership principles is invent and simplify and if you just logged on to amazon.com jobs you'd see uh all throughout a lot of descriptions is uh entrepreneurial mindset entrepreneurs so they'll look for people who are entrepreneurs or who used to be entrepreneurs because really all amazon is is a collection of startups that are all stitched together by that framework and uh, one person mentioned it to me is amazon being one of the biggest venture capital firms out there because all they do is they take that big mothership and they invest in a lot of tiny ideas and that's why amazon is in so many spaces is uh, they have a culture that is very good at um, seeding um, and watering those plants that they think will be uh, strong, profitable, uh, large businesses. And they give people the freedom to go out and do those things. And they want you to invent it within Amazon. So the dope part is if you're an entrepreneur, you could just do it for work inside the, the four walls of the company. You don't necessarily have to take your own risk and do it outside. So from that standpoint, it's definitely a skill set that Amazon values. So honestly, man, at my former company, I had to hide everything that I was doing. So I didn't talk about it on LinkedIn, my social media, and I'll walk into the doors with a boxed up branded sweatshirt and hat and people would be like, yo, like, you know, how can I get a sweatshirt or, you know, make sure you bring some hats in so I can wear them the next time. It's such an, a different um, mindset that they have. And I think they're representative of the t- tomorrow's uh, employer from the standpoint that they recognize you have options. And uh, the more options you have, 
they know that you can walk out the door and get a job somewhere else. So they would much rather empower you while you're there. And what it ends up doing is it ends up endearing you to the company because now I'm a lot more bought in on making sure I kill it at work because I got this thing on the side, but I want to make sure like, no, you guys still, you know, uh, put food on my table today. So I'm a definitely, I'm a, uh, work as hard as humanly possible while I'm at work. But no, when I get outside that I have some other stuff that I'm interested in and they support it 110%. I, I, I thought that might be the case before I went to work, to, went to go work there. Uh, but now that I'm there, uh, I've just been astonished at honestly, like how frequent of requests that I get because I have a startup, uh, people reach out to me even more. It's, it's kind of weird. And I'm always shocked when I, I sit at, at work or at coffee or at lunch talking about boxed up. No, that's, that's amazing. And I know that's gotta be an amazing feeling because again, most people who are working in corporate America, it's like, man, how can I build this thing on the, on, in a silo? I hope nobody sees my Instagram post talking about it, but to have the company that you work for being so supportive of your startup and, and probably being in an ecosystem where, uh, you know, you have access to, you know, potentially finding people who will maybe one day even work for you. Right. I think that's just, it's, it seems very full circle and I'm just glad that, uh, that you're able to do that. Cause it seems, I haven't, I haven't at least heard of that elsewhere. I know you're, you're probably more close to that, that culture, but personally, I just haven't, I've always seen it as you got this thing on the side. Uh, hopefully this, it doesn't compete with the company that you're working for. <laughs> right. You really can't do it. Um, and then if it doesn't, you know, even if it doesn't, are they going to feel like you're distracted from your main yep. uh, role? So that's awesome that you have that, that set up, which uh, brings me to another good point is, you know, while that is awesome, you know, you have a full-time job, you have your startup, you have a wife, you have two children. Um, again, another selfish question as a guy who's, you know, venture, soon to be venturing into fatherhood. Um, how do you, how do you balance it all? How do you manage it? Yeah, discipline, that that same discipline that I mentioned earlier and having to shut down other ideas, uh, I've had to do the same thing with uh, with trying to balance out the family. It's one of those things where I knew I always wanted a family and, and I was sort of unwilling to sacrifice my family for my selfish endeavors. And I always said, you know what, I'll just do it all. And I started and I tried and I just wasn't good at doing everything. So I've, I've had to make a lot of sacrifices. It, it hasn't been hard for sure. You know, some real honest, brutal conversations with the wife, like, listen, you're not being a good husband right now because I want my husband to do X, Y, and Z. And at the end of the day, you're not fulfilling those things. So, you know, being vulnerable and humble enough to have those conversations to say, all right, well, the same energy and drive that I put into entrepreneurship and the work, I got to put the same energy and drive into uh, being a husband and to being a father as well. And the way that sort of resurrects itself, resurrects itself is uh, I end up like Friday nights as an, as an example. So you almost never see me, you know, post anything about partying, going out. Um, you know, I am a very schedule oriented person right now. So honestly, like if it's not on the schedule, if it's not on the books, I probably don't do it. That even ties into phone calls. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm not as great or um, great at communicate, communicating with my longtime friends. Um, but it's something that I voice to them like, listen, this is sort of my, my, my life construct right now. I hope to reverse this one day, but as, as of right now, I'm still balancing multiple things. Uh, so those are the things that will have to get sacrificed 
sacrificed in order for me to prioritize all of the other stuff. Uh, but it's, it's tough, man. A, a lot of days, um, you know, I'll wake up at, you know, the kids wake up at like six o'clock in the morning, they getting dropped off at daycare at seven 30. Uh, I don't have time to go to the gym. So I ride my bike into work. So that's my workout. It's a six mile bike ride, about 30 minutes. I work until about five, five thirty. I'm doing the wife and family thing, cooking food, uh, dinner time, bath time until about, uh, eight o'clock they go to sleep. And then I got like the rest of the night to do, do everything else. So that often leaves me up until about 11 o'clock at night. A lot of times trying to fill in the gaps for boxed up. So I think it, it, it forces you to be disciplined. Um, but I actually think I'm a bit more uh, productive when I have that type of structure because I don't have time to spend a whole lot of time on Instagram because I know I got stuff to do. So I feel like I'm much more productive of a person, but it is exhausting. I, 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 won't, I won't front uh, one second and say that it's not. It definitely is, but, uh, but it's equally rewarding, man. I wouldn't trade anything. Not not a single piece of it, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. It just it just forces you to focus and prioritize on what matters most because you literally don't have the margin or the wiggle room, uh, you know, elsewhere. You know, elsewhere, which I think can also, to your point, be helpful because sometimes when you have that, it's like Parkinson's law, right? You ever heard of that? Uh, I haven't. I haven't. Oh, so Parkinson's law is basically like we will use the amount of time or resources. Uh, and we'll expand the activity to fill it, right? So, yep. so that applies to money, right? Like if you you make more money, you spend more money, right? You have more time to complete this task. You'll tend that you could probably get it done in an hour. You end up spending four hours because you have four hours. And so it's kind of, you know, reverse engineering, like, okay, what do I actually need to get this done? What is it going to take for me to get this done? Um, and then when that's kind of forced upon you, you just figure out that you can get more done with less, which ultimately makes you more productive so that, you know, one day when boxed up is your, your full-time gig, you're so used to getting so much done with a limited amount of time. When you have, you know, three times that amount of time during the day, it's like, wow, okay. Um, how much more can we grow because of how efficient I've learned to, you know, be with my time. So I think in your case or in, in a lot of people's cases who have busy schedules, it, it can become, a valuable skill set so that when you do have more, you are able to just get more done versus taking longer to do the same thing. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> it sounds like a, a dream come true. And I've talked to a lot of people that have that were doing the moonlighting thing and have gone full time. They said the exact same thing. They said, you'll be amazed at just how much faster your business grows when all of your time is dedicated to it based on everything you said. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, man, uh, this has been a, a, a great podcast, man. I, again, I feel like because of uh, the way you think and, and, and the path that you're on, there's definitely a lot of uh, a similar interest there. So this was also helpful for me just to hear you unpack some of your, your perspective. Uh, you might have already uh, addressed this earlier in the podcast in some way, shape, form, or fashion, but uh, what are you most excited about uh, going into 2020 as it relates to boxed up or just, you know, your life in general? Yeah, I think 2020 for me is, I, I, I felt like in 2019 sort of discovery and, and thinking that I'm onto something. And in, in 2020, it's really how do I, I chart the path to figure out 
uh, how quickly I can make boxed up a full time thing. And, uh, and, it, and if it's not the fallback plan is, is a really good day job. So I'm excited most about that is just figuring out like, it, it, will I be able to pull this off? Uh, I, I am definitely drawn to doing something that not a lot of other people have done. So there not being a lot of people that have done and been successful uh, that look like us, that are black in the tech space, that have launched their own startups. Like there is no black Jeff Bezos. Right. Uh, you know, there's the Robert Smith who is, you know, thankful uh, that he's been able to pay off the tuition for a lot of those Morehouse grads. But like, I, I look forward to the day when uh, instead of uh, people dropping LeBron James in a line, that they're dropping a tech entrepreneur's name in a line. And for me, 2020 is about starting to plant those seeds to achieve that. And that's really what the focus is. I, I talked about uh, enabling some of those things through Boxed Up. Um, but that's definitely what I want to work on in 2020 and going into 2021. So, so we'll see, man. Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, for those who want to keep up with the journey, uh, where, where can we find you? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, the, the best two places um, uh, at Donald T Boone. So uh, just the full the full name Donald T Boone. The reason why the T is important. My father's a Donald Boone, but I'm not a junior, uh, and that's a long story for a whole another podcast for another day on why the separation there. So Donald T Boone at Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, and for the company uh, online and on Instagram as well. It's boxedup.io. Uh, boxedup.io on both Instagram and online as well. Awesome. Awesome, man. And the last question that I ask every guest that comes on the show is, uh, what does it mean to live your life uncensored? Yeah. Uh, easy one for me is uh, uncensored is the way I look at it is living life without any regrets. Is there anything that if you looked back, will you regret not doing it? And I almost ask myself that same question almost every time I do anything. It's like, do I want to dive into another business or do I want to sit on the sidelines? And the, the question, the answer almost always is, if I, if I were to look back on 30-year-old me and say, will I have done it? I almost always say I would regret not doing it versus losing whatever a bit of money it took to do whatever I did. So I think living life with that mindset and knowing that, again, it's not a dress rehearsal. You will get no other opportunity to have uh, a January 1, 2020, man. So live life to the fullest, no regrets, completely uncensored. Uh, why wait? Start today. So uh, that's what it means to me. Awesome. Well, well, Donald, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, it was it was a pleasure. You, you dropped some really insightful wisdom, um, stuff that I know my audience will benefit from, stuff that I will benefit from personally. And just thank you for all you're doing. And we'll we'll be on the lookout for how boxed up takes off. George, the honor is mine, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, greatly appreciate it. I look forward to doing this uh, again when Boxed Up is wildly successful. I appreciate it. Fingers Absolutely. crossed. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of The Uncensored Show. 
Take at least one thing you heard today and apply it to your life immediately so that you can become one step closer to living a more meaningful and fulfilling life and aligning your resources to what matters most to you. Remember, money is just a resource to fuel your journey. The question is, what's yours? What's going on, guys? Thank you so much for listening to the Uncensored Podcast. Whether you've listened to one episode or 40 episodes, I am so grateful for you taking any amount of time out of your day to listen to my show. Now, if you like what you heard, the best way to show me that you have an appreciation for this content is to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts and share this podcast with at least three friends because that helps us spread the word, right? We don't have a big marketing budget over here at the Uncensored uh, Podcast Studios, which is my home office, by the way, but we do have your support. And with that support, we can reach thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. So guys, thanks so much uh, for your support. Please share this with three friends and leave a review and we'll see you on the next episode.